Hi, I'm Christy Lee, and this is the Praise and Worship Podcast, Episode 4. My special guest this time is Nathan Hurst of Life Center Worship and Attic Studios, both in Harrisburg, PA. He's also formerly of Sister Brother, a singer, a songwriter, worship leader, and producer, and a pause and an asterisk is in order right now. Yeah, those really warm, chill, shimmering vibes you're hearing, that is one of Nathan's many creations, a track called Vision. And there's a lot more than that on the way. Coming up in this episode, since the two of these guys have so much in common, we're going to compare notes with David Leonard from episode three, talking personal favorite worship song, plus the one that gets the whole congregation singing, and Nathan's favorite gear in the studio. I love this. There's also a lot of songwriting tips to pick up through this conversation. We talk tempo and ways to motivate your kids to practice their instruments. There's a very special electric guitar that's got a story. We're talking about that today. Fast tempo worship songs, why those are tricky. And two things well worth sticking through to the end for. One, our matching espresso machines. Yeah, this is where Nathan and I can compare notes and talk a little shop. And two, new music from Life Center Worship. There's a lot of really good stuff on the way. So let's get started. Nathan, just like I described David Leonard, is also an unstoppable generating force of creativity, constantly collaborating and cranking out new projects. Um, his own and otherwise. So people that have been in your studio, Nathan, include uh, Sean Foyt, Christine DeMarco, uh, yep. Philip Herndon, Pathway Music, Alan Scott, Benjamin Dunn, Carissa. And I mean, am I missing any other big names there? Um, Mike Maines in the Branches is a oh, pretty uh, yes. decent, uh, decently big artist. So Oh, yeah. That, there's yeah. a history there with Purple Door and here in the area. Right. I love that he's still doing stuff now. Yeah, he's awesome. We we definitely connect on yeah. a lot of levels. So it, it just works. On a lot of levels. Yeah. What, what are the levels? Well, you know, as a producer, I feel like half of my job is to counsel people. So, really? Wait. Yeah, that sounds weird. But <laughs> No, um, I, I want to know more about that. Yeah. So, you know, when you're writing songs with people, you want to like go deep and be able to connect and like a deep emotional level. And so a lot of times like big issues come up, deep issues. And you're like, all right, let's talk through this. Let's like really dig to the heart of this to, you know, say what we really want to say and make it believable, make it authentic. And, and so then that, you know, sometimes translates into, all right, well, let's going to hang out after the session and I keep talking about that. And I don't know, just end up falling into that role quite a bit. So. Yeah, that's cool. Never thought about that. But if you're doing music, that's really compelling. um, Of course, you're going to get into burying your soul, you know? Right. Yeah. So and it's it's not like that with everyone. There's just a, a handful of people that I've worked with, or that yeah. I continue to work with, where that that does happen. So, way cool. Yeah, it's important. It's an important part of the process. Nice. So yeah. So really, the first um, scripted question that I have for you <laughs> is mm-hmm. because curiosity has had me for days. Um, Nathan and I, we go way back because I met his wife, Katie, when we first started going to Life Center. Life Center is my home church. Um, so we've been good friends ever since. There's been a lot of good food over the last, uh, you know, I was doing the math. It's definitely over 16 years because Katie was pregnant with your first of four boys when we met. Right. And he just yep. turned, it's really hard to believe the math is correct on this, but he just turned 16. Yep. A couple of weeks ago. Oi. Yeah, that's that's tough. So Nathan was on the team leading with Life Center Worship on Sunday. Mm-hmm. We were singing. It was awesome. And at one point, the light hit your guitar just right. And 
it just like it it had a glow about it. It had a special something and and it actually took until then to notice this the reddish orange color on the top. It's got like mm-hmm. is it a wood grain side? Yeah. It's yep. I mean this thing is it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a Gretsch hollow body. So the the body is hollow and it has a, you know, unique sound to it. So, so I, I texted Nathan about it because I was like, I couldn't remember, have we seen this before or not? And and I was asking, is this new? Is it just, is the lighting guy doing something new today? Yeah. So you said that this was an old guitar that was in a closet, right? Yeah, regretfully. <laughs> well, the important thing is it's it's out now and apparently one of your new favorites, but I want to know what closet it was in first. That's my first real scripted question so that I yeah. can quench the curiosity. Yeah, so a few years back when I first um, opened the studio, a friend of mine approached me. I was like, hey, I'm moving to California. I have a bunch of gear. I don't want to take it with me and I don't want it sitting in storage getting moldy or whatever. And he's like, would you want to just house it at your studio? And I was kind of like a no brainer. Yes. Yeah. And he has some really nice gear. And so I currently have six or seven amazing pieces in my studio that I use almost daily because of him. So if he ever moves back and needs that back, it's not (laughs) going to be good. I'm going to have to drop some serious money to replace all that um so one of the pieces was this guitar and when i first had it i was using it quite a bit and then i kind of just i don't know as a musician you're always swapping gear in and out you're never satisfied and so i just ended up shelving it for a period like oh i found this this new guitar i'm gonna use that more and then i just never really went back to it so it's been sitting in the back closet of my studio for a couple years and I recently had an intern over the fall, and I had, had one of his jobs was to organize the the back room <laughs> and sell sell gear that I'm not using. And so he's like, "Dude, what is this Gretsch guitar? This thing is probably awesome." Like, yeah, the strings are really dead. It it needs probably needs to be set up, and it's not really playable right now. So he's like, "Well, do you mind if I do that?" He's a guitarist, and he knows how to do all that. So he did that, plugged it in, comes back, man. This is like the best sounding guitar I've ever heard. <laughs> really? Maybe it just needed a good setup because I wasn't happy with it for some reason. And so then he started playing it. And then I I heard him play. And I was like, yeah, that, yeah, that guitar does sound really good. So then I started playing it. I mean, yeah. like there really is something special. I feel like we're in a movie yeah. right now. This whole like telling the story of this guitar. Because there yeah. really was something very special about it. Yeah. Yeah. And you just got to give it another chance sometimes. Forget like how how good it actually is. You have yeah. like one bad experience can kind of like throw you off and you're like, eh, I don't know if it's the best fit for me right now, but yeah. Now, do you know for the people who, who would care about the, the specifics here, do you know what kind of strings you put on it to get this awesome result? Uh, I don't think that, that the strings are that special. I think mm. the strings were just old and rusty yeah. and the neck wasn't set up right and it just didn't play very well. And so once Sam, the intern cleaned it all up it sounded amazing and it probably sounded amazing even from the beginning i just didn't yeah. give it enough attention huh. so or i didn't play it through the right amps you know there's a combination of things that can cause frustration as a musician right not getting the right tone so well was sam pretty happy with that oh yeah <laughs> he was begging me to keep it you know he's like just sell it to me like what do you want like i can't sell it. it's not mine oh, no. yeah so so did he try to sell anything else that would have been uh, a mistake yeah, so funny thing is, he gave me a list of things just that we could sell. And 
I signed off on all the things. I was like, yeah, that's fine. Actually, you can't sell that. That's not mine. Yeah. But there were three things that he listed that were actually the churches because the studio is in the church Mm -hmm. and sometimes their gear ends up in the studio and it was old gear that they probably don't even use anyway. But I saw it on my reverb list. You know what reverb is? No. It's basically an eBay for musicians where it's it's only, it's only gear, music gear, music equipment. Okay. So I know Um, what I'm doing this weekend then. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing. I use it all the time. So he listed those things and I, I saw them. I was like, Oh yeah, we can't, we can't list that. So I just immediately pulled them, pulled them off. So did he find anything else pretty cool in there that you're like, oh, I can't believe that's in there. We got to keep that. We got to use that. I've been looking for that. Uh, Not really. I think it was just the room was so disorganized and it was way too many things back there. And so he's a mastermind and organization and I'm not a mastermind organization. So it was a really good fit. It was super helpful having him around. Oh, so he's gone now. Yeah. Unfortunately. Official thanks to Sam. From all of us who now get to experience the other side yeah. of this amazing guitar. Um, yeah. And you've had a bunch of interns before, right? Do they usually organize closets or or do they get involved in the... What do you let them do? <laughs> right. No, um, it varies. It kind of depends on what they want to learn, what they want to get from the experience, and also what I need. Obviously, like I, I teach them a lot. They shadow what I do in exchange for I have them do the things that I need to be done and that moment in that season so that and that back room was so bad yeah and i knew that sam was uh kind of ocd with organization Mm -hmm. and so i just thought well this would be a good fit most musicians aren't that way so sam is actually a he's a proficient jazz guitarist who's about to graduate from messiah awesome so it is rare to find musicians who kind of have that um skill set as well usually musicians are not very organized, not administrative. So it was, there's a huge like variety of things that I'll have people do. Yeah. You know, well, it's a good learning experience. And honestly, at some point you might've had to organize that closet. So it is a real life experience to do some of the fun stuff and do some of the regular stuff. Right. Yeah. He learned a lot about gear in that process. There's a lot of what, what is this? Where, Where do I put this? Like, Oh, put it with the other things that are like this. Yeah. You know, so there was some education involved. It wasn't just busy work. There you go. Yeah. Now, can you say whose guitar this is? Mm-hmm. His name is Aaron Royer. He actually used to be involved at Life Center years ago in the youth group. So I think Tiffany uh, knows him and a lot of the people that have been around like probably 20 plus years now. So Nathan just mentioned Tiffany, Tiffany Aiken, part of Life Center Worship, which, man, we've had a great year, I would say, for, for Life Center Worship, releasing the debut EP. And yep. Tiffany's whole Rejoice song and the um, music video at the Star Barn with yeah. the rainbows outside. Like you cannot get <laughs> more amazing than that. But I want to talk a little bit about Life Center Worship right now. Okay. Uh, the, the EP has some house favorites on it. You Delight in Me, which is one that Tiff sings. Um, mm-hmm. Resurrected One, which is one that you sang before, but I think does David sing it on... Uh, John Aiken. John's, so David does Risen King. Yes. Maybe which is another one that Nathan sang before. And then you, you sing Worthy. Kind of got mm-hmm. like a little bit of a flip-flop of who sings what. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's a great EP. It's available now. You've also got the acoustic versions too. So if mm-hmm. you're looking back on this experience and the process of doing the release, what are some of your favorite parts? I think it's just really cool that all of us have been leading worship together now for 15, 20 years. 
with so much history. And I mean, some of these songs were written eight to 10 years ago, Risen King. Yeah. That's, I think that's probably the oldest song out of the bunch. So it's cool that, I mean, David Leach, I would say is the like executive producer of, of everything. He kind of has the final say in terms of what songs are going on the record. I mean, it's collaborative. We, we all write together and have been doing this together for a long time, but it's just cool to see some of those songs stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was really encouraged by that as a songwriter because you write songs and you never know if it's timeless, but that's always the goal. Like let's write a song that can like stand the test of time. So, you know, we've been doing that song at church for a long time and it's cool to have a live version of some of these songs because Resurrected One and Risen King were both on previous Sister Brother albums, but they were just studio versions. And when you write a worship song, you always want to hear it live. Definitely. Studio is great, but it doesn't always capture the, the heart of like the corporate experience and hearing all the voices and there's a different energy that happens live. Even some of the songs go off the page a bit on John's song, Resurrected One. He goes into a spontaneous bit that's really cool and powerful. And we didn't plan for it, but you know, it's, it's just cool when, when that happens and yeah. we can capture it because there's been so many times where we're in a worship service and we're, we record everything, but not always it's not always up to the quality of like all right let's release that that was a really cool moment and plus we had video to go with it and and that only happens a couple times a year that we have quality video that can go on youtube even though we live stream all of our services it's not always up to quality you know people are always up at the front filming (laughs) from the congregation i mean there's always some video somewhere wait you record everything every sunday yes oh i did not know that yeah, every single service is multi-tracked, which means every single, like the kick drum, snare drum, vocals, everything is separated. I'm exhausted thinking about that. Thinking about the hard drive space. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm multi-tracking it's... right now, but that means two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's what most people think when I say we record every service, like it's just a two-track recording, right. but no, it's every single instrument on stage. So yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of uh, gigabytes. <laughs> So it is, but but then you have it, which is so smart, and yeah. it's separated so that if you know somebody was coughing or somebody was whatever. Um, so do you use those? Then do you like take certain parts and mix them down and and use them eventually, or is it just in case? It's really just in case. Um, we're, I think moving forward, we're going to be releasing more worship moments where it's off the cuff. Yeah. There might be some covers, songs that you know, we like to do as a church that maybe we have our own spin on it. And I know that's one of the the goals this year is to, to put that out more consistently in between the, the big EP or full length releases that, that we're doing as Life Center Worship. And so in that situation, yeah, it's perfect because you never know what's going to be usable. Right. Um, and back in the day, I used to actually be on staff at Life Center and we were putting out a lot of recordings And most of those were live and raw, not really edited. We were multi-tracking the services even back then. That was probably 12 years ago. Wow. So we we were doing monthly releases. Where is the cloud or the storage warehouse that contains all of this? Because you have to be eating just brick loads of, you know, memory somewhere. That's a ton. Fortunately, I don't have to think about that or deal with it. Good, because it gives me a little bit of a headache. Oh, Brent Brent Ulrich's department. Yeah, he's in charge of file management. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 
What a job. Yeah, he gets a little bit annoyed by it sometimes. Like, I don't know what we're going to do with all this stuff. We're never going to. We have like 20 years of like multi-track services just sitting in a closet. It's like, I just want to throw it out. or but Get him an intern. Yeah. <laughs> deal with yeah. It. yeah, it's a lot. Oh, man. But yeah, the church is super into archiving. Well, um, I do think that that's very, very smart. Um, But now you've also kind of given me the knowledge that you have recorded enough, enough to put together some of the songs I'm hoping you're releasing next, because I think there's two, at least that I can think of, um, that we've been singing at church that I can't wait to have Mm. a finished version of. So those are what I have in mind when I say what's next for Life Center Worship. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can bump the timeline up a little bit. Because I really love yeah. the new songs. You want to talk a little bit about them? Yeah. So we've been writing a lot. I mean, we try to record twice a year. I mean, it's actually more than that. If you count Rejoice, that was a studio or like, you know, that was a, a one-off type thing. But, we, you know, we have Firestorm and Supernatural Life. Firestorm is coming up in February. Supernatural Life is in the fall, I think September usually. So we have a lot of people that come in for, for those conferences and we try to record just because there's a lot of energy in the room. We get a lot of voices. So we're gonna we're planning to record at least three or four new ones. Okay. During Firestorm, some not yet written, which is kind of how what? we roll. <laughs> how are you yeah. gonna do that? <laughs> this is kind of how we roll. Like for the last, we recorded some new songs in September. One of them was written uh, two weeks before the, yeah. the recording, but not intentionally. It just kind of happened. Like, oh, this is great. Let's finish this, and we did. That yeah. was like one of the best statements of faith I've heard in a long time. That like, yeah, we're yeah. To- in a few weeks, we're recording some songs that are not even written yet. Yeah. So, but a little bit of pressure, I feel like, yeah. just kind of squeezes out like the stuff that's in there in yeah. more of a form like that. Mm-hmm. So so I, I think you probably will. Yeah. David and I are very driven by a, a deadline. And yeah. I'm like, all right, let's make this happen. And sometimes it's, I don't know it can result in something that's contrived and not very good because it's just doing it for the sake of doing it instead of like, Oh, this came from a real place. This is totally inspired and like from, from the Lord. But I don't know. I think, I don't think that the pressure is bad. I think that God works in the midst of that. So. Yeah. 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 I think that's really classic for right now um, because of the state of the industry, the uh, how, where we are with technology some and where churches are with the gear, their setup. So many churches and, and worship teams right now have this. I don't know if it's a pressure um, or an expectation, but everyone right now is getting together. They're writing, they're recording, they're, you know, mm-hmm. it's like it's possible. So everyone's pushing for it. Um, so in some yeah. places, it can be contrived because you just yep. kind of have to crank something out. Yeah, especially people that have record deals and they're required to turn in so many songs a year or even publishing deals where a songwriter is required to turn in 30 songs a year. That's a, that's a lot of pressure and it can result in poor art sometimes. But for some people, it's just the motivation they need to create. Right. Because I, I think that as an artist, a lot of it is just working a muscle. It, it is a daily discipline. You know, it's just showing up like day after day. Like even if you don't feel super inspired, it, you know, art can, it it comes out of the overflow of like what you feed yourself. And so whatever you are absorbing on a daily basis will come out uh, in your art. And so I'm a firm believer in just, just showing up and, you know, uh, a friend of mine, Matt Stinton, 
it says the more you write, the more you write. So brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really good what you've just talked about, because I think some people for the worship songs to have these mm -hmm. expectations, it starts to just feel a little weird um, mm -hmm. because of just this, you know, how can you crank out like worship songs like that or have pressure about worship songs? But yeah. talking about that, that it's already in there and that, you know, it, it is an overflow that I think is really helpful, uh, mm -hmm. a helpful perspective in just kind of this this landscape of where we are right now and how many because if you think about it like in in the olden days we'll talk about the 90s or something how many new worship songs were there in one calendar year and now right. we're going through we're just blazing through them in a month or less we're probably going way past that so we're speeding up what we're cranking out but um but it is it is great because it means there's more there and it can be shared faster yeah, and I think with Spotify and Apple Music music subscription, there can be an oversaturation of music because anybody, especially with modern technology, anybody can record these days and, and create something that sounds decent and somewhat professional, even if they're not a professional, um, just with how far we've come in uh, recording technology. And then you pair that with uh, the expectation of subscription-based listeners. They want new music all right. the time and you got to keep up with that you know because people are super ADD these days probably because of way too much screen time yes <laughs> <laughs> um and so they get bored with a song and every once in a while one will like poke through and it's it's the one that every church in the world starts doing and it lasts for a while but it's kind of rare these days whereas back yeah back in the day I mean I grew up on a vineyard mm -hmm. old like passion records um, and man, I would just listen to those albums. I would have like three albums that I listened to for a year and yeah. that was it and just yeah. soaked it in and it's not really like that anymore. So yeah. And I don't, I, I would say even for us or my perspective on worship songwriting isn't just crank out tons of songs because you have to like keep up with everything. It's more like, well, if you, if you write 30 songs in six months, then you can pick the best three or four. Mm -hmm. rather than like I wrote three or four songs in six months and these are the ones that we have to pick that's all I got right and so it's it's more like weeding through it all like have have way more than you need so that you can filter it down like these are the ones that actually feel really special I always encourage if I'm working with an, an artist who wants to record an album and they want to do 10 songs I'm like all right well I want to hear 30 you know wow. I don't want to hear 10 songs right so yeah so I am curious, Nathan does spend a lot of time in the studio. And so I'm curious, that's a really good kind of a starting place. Are there any other tips that you find you're giving people regularly to get a really good finished product? Product. A lot of what I've already talked about, you know, just showing up every yeah. day, every week, just writing, like journaling, getting your, your heart on paper. Read a lot, listen to audiobooks, watch movies, listen to sermons. I mean, whatever. I'm coming from the perspective of like Christian songwriting, obviously, mm -hmm. with this. But yeah, that's it. Just like immerse yourself in what you want to influence you and what you're passionate about. So that when you're coming to the table, whether it's to do a co-writing session to write a song or you're going into the studio to record, you have a lot of ideas because you've educated yourself or you've dug deep. You know, and you're not just like, you're not just doing it because you want to be a famous artist or something. You know what I mean? Right. Like there's got to be like a, a level of conviction there to some extent. 
I don't know if that answers your question, but it does. And it, it actually leads to a different question, similar question, but mm-hmm. um, at least your oldest, Nathaniel, since he was in diapers, was a passionate drummer. Yeah. And I've seen now he's leading worship, you know, in the youth and, and around church. What do you tell him tip wise for whether it's creating or worship leading? How do you encourage him? The beautiful thing about Nathaniel is I don't feel like I forced him into music in any way or even oh, no. was like in like constantly encouraging him to do it. So he started playing drums when he was two and played for a couple of years and then sort of put it aside yeah. and didn't actually start playing music again until I think 11 or 12. He started learning, um, you know, taking drum lessons officially, learning some guitar. And it was somewhat of a slow process. He wasn't even really listening to music that much during during that time. And I remember his drum teacher asked him, so what are your favorite bands? And he was like, uh, oh. I, I don't know. He's like, wait, you don't listen to music? Isn't your dad a musician? Like, what kind of parents do you yeah. have? And it was just, I don't know why. We, we just have never been ones to, like, force our kids into something because we're interested in it. I guess I always feel like you're around it. You've been around it your whole life. Yeah. It's probably going to happen through osmosis. You're, you're gonna, you've observed it enough. You've heard me talk about it enough that if you have an, any interest it's going to naturally happen. Mm-hmm. He also, you know, records, he's got software. You know, I just try to empower him, give him the tools, let him run with it. If he approaches me with questions or whatever, then, then yeah, I'll help him. I'll teach him all of that. And so it just kind of naturally happened over the, over the past few years. And now I'm like every other week I'll check in on him, like what he's up to. And he's just like so fast. Like he's just at this like, crazy pace now he goes to casa which is a, an art school in downtown harrisburg and he's doing the music track there he's a sophomore and he's learning a lot there so he just he's all in yeah. music and it's it's amazing to watch but a lot of it he's honestly just taught himself like he i feel like with music you kind of have to have that drive and that ambition naturally it's like your parents are always like no you need to practice you need to take this lesson you need to do this and they hate it it's not, I don't know, it might not really go very far. Right. That makes any sense. It definitely does. As someone, you so. know, I do have a lot of music in, in my background, but there was definitely a time where I hated piano lessons. No offense yeah. to my many piano teachers, but, you know, you try to get out of it at any length that you possibly can. But then there's also the moment where you fall in love with it and that, that fuels you. Yeah. Our youngest, Oliver, plays trumpet. Yeah. And he expressed some initial interest in playing, but now I feel like he kind of hates it. Yeah, I'm also not of the mentality to let them give up on it. Like it's like, no, you're gonna like stick it out for a while, and, right? Especially know, if that become... trumpet's a rental. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think that there's definitely a place for both of like hands off, like let them like kind of explore and like find their own lane in it instead right. of like here's how I want you to do it. Yeah, but then there's also like them not being motivated and having to totally keep them going yeah. yeah practicing oh yeah that's the hardest thing for kids like the consistent practice is there a way that you motivate so. them do you do prizes stickers candy yeah i don't know i mean not not really it's just the thing that worked the best for me when i was you know probably five six it would still work now if you offered it to me was colored paper clips so I would get like oh. a mug and for if I did the song one time, I would get a colored paper clip or a penny or a gummy bear. Mm. Those are the three things. If you give those to me, I will I will practice. So yeah. there you go. That's you can use idea. that on Oliver. 
yeah, we gotta we gotta figure out his thing, like what's gonna yeah. motivate him. It's probably gonna end up being candy, which I don't know if that's gonna fly on a weekly I'm, basis. I don't know. Depends <laughs> how we'll much see. he practices. He might become right. really brilliant and proficient. Also yeah. a little, you know, over sugared. But right. Well, one of the things I want to talk about is I'm going to compare some notes with David Leonard. So okay. I think this episode goes so well with the one last week with him, just because Nathan and David have a lot in common. In fact, going back to a WJTL listener appreciation concert, I don't even know how many years ago, but we were having all sons and daughters and we yeah. were like, oh, it'd be perfect to have sister brother. It's like a family thing. and it, Yeah, the family and, tour. <laughs> yeah, and it just it yeah. felt right and they everybody sounded great together and that's still just a really uh, one of my favorite memories mm-hmm. back then of listener appreciation concerts. So that's why these are kind of paired up, unofficially paired up together. But here's the first question I asked him. What is your personal favorite worship song right now? Could be one that you wrote, could be one that's somebody else's, but what gets your heart really going right now? Well, it's it's fresh because I just did it on Sunday, but that's usually how it is for me. It it kind of evolves. I don't I don't stick with songs for very long. Like yeah. it might be a few months, and then I'm on to like, all right, what else do I want to lead? You're like everybody else right now. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Going through them real fast. It's all in wonder by the Belonging Co. I really really love that song. Yeah, there's a simplicity to it, and the melodies are beautiful, sweeping, which I love. Highly melodic songs, uh, but even just the simplicity and like the it's it's profound in its simplicity. Um, and there's not a lot of songs that are. I feel like there's not a whole lot of songs out right now that are just like directly like to God that are high praise. You know, I feel like a lot of songs are more about us and like identity, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think it's mm-hmm. great to sing about these things. And it is, it's all worship in my opinion. So, so it's refreshing, I think, to hear some that are just like, I just want to behold your beauty. You're all, you know, be in, never leave this place of awe and wonder. So that like yeah. really speaks, it really speaks to me. And I think it's important. So. That was a good one. And you and everybody was singing. I was actually impressed yeah. with how many people knew that song. Uh, had we d- had we done that one before at church? No, I don't think yeah. so. What, was, did that kind of surprise you how many people sang yeah. all the words to that song? I think it's the song is just simple, too, and that helps. Yeah. And you, you hear it once and you can sing it back. It does have one of those melodies that yeah. you kind of feel like, do I know? Maybe I did know this song before. It's like one of those kind of familiar melodies once you hear it a little bit. Um, but speaking of the crowd, what song at church right now gets everybody singing? Like if you had to say, this is right now Life Center's favorite song to sing. One that always blows up for lack of a better word is, uh, Good Grace into Echoes Hillsong, especially when the beat changes, it speeds up. The tempo actually doesn't change. It just goes to double time, I think. But Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a great song, but it's also a great fast song, which is not common these days in worship music, there's not a lot of fast songs. Tiff and I were just talking so, about this because yeah. there's not, and they're hard and they're exhausting and they're harder to pull off for some reason. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the fear or the, the blockage with writers is that they feel like fast songs are cheesy. Typically it's hard yeah. to not write a cheesy fast song. Like, oh, this is a little like silly or, or something big. They can't take it seriously, which is why there's so many mid tempo. Because you can just lean into the ballad and like make it super emotional, and, right? And people feel it more. So yeah, they were just talking about this on uh, Worship Leader Problems on their social media account. You know, trying to oh, encourage yeah. people to go to the fringes instead of middle of the road, which is so classic right now. 
yeah. um, to go to either the slow or the fast. And notably, the fast one is is just always harder. Yeah. So, but you're right. From Hillsong United, Good Grace, and Echoes Till We See the Other Side. Yeah. And if you haven't done them together, it's like it's just so it's, they they go together. It takes it to the next level. If you're going through something that's hard, um, that's the boost that you need for yeah. you know the week. If you're singing that with your congregation, I think that that totally works. So good answer. Yeah. I think another one because I've asked a few people. Another one at Life Center right now, and this is probably close to nationwide, is Waymaker. Oh yeah, that one is maybe yeah. a little more doable because it's not fast <laughs> yeah totally it's really simple yeah. i don't think the chords ever change like you can't mess it up right so i don't think you can mess it up <laughs> yeah i'm sure there's a way to mess it I'm up sure but... there's a way to mess it up here's another question i asked david and i'm really looking forward to this one your favorite piece of gear in the studio right now now i know we talked about this guitar but like if someone's coming into the studio, like, is there something you always find yourself going to a microphone or a, even a cable? I'm okay to geek out on this one a little bit. Hmm, let me look around and see. Yeah, this, this answer could be really nerdy. So I, I need to I really hope it is. <laughs> I mean, I think my favorite, this is going to sound so much generic, but I think my favorite piece of gear that I have is my piano. Yeah, I have an upright piano. It's super old. Like it's it's a little bit like honky tonk sounding, but it's a cabinet grand, so it's the really tall, right. upright, which I've always been drawn to that sound because it there's a lot of character in that, but it's also full sounding because of like the, how tall it is. Yeah, so a grand upright is very different than there's a couple other kinds of uprights. So just for people listening, a grand upright is more piano in still an upright. Yeah. So it's just really, I don't actually record it a ton. It's pretty quirky to record. And so yeah. the imperfections of it and the noise, the clankiness of it can sometimes be distracting yeah. on a recording. But sometimes it's really cool to like kind of feel that. If it's like, if it's an intimate song and you're hearing the hammers kind of click in your, I don't know, it's just really, it can sound compelling. But I think I like it so much because it's inspiring to write on. And so I write tons of songs on that thing. If I'm ever stuck on something, I just go down, like plunk around a little bit. Interesting. And I usually can kind of keep the inspiration going. Whereas for me, writing music or, um, on an acoustic can tend to take me into folk land consistently. Yeah. Whereas piano, like it just opens up, opens that up a little more to other genres and like where else could this go? So, but if we're talking about nerdy stuff preamps my my new favorite preamp is an aurora audio gtq2 which is a neve based uh-huh. preamp that is highly harmonic <laughs> and has an eq built built in so you can really shape the tone on the way in yeah it just sounds very alive yeah well, and cool. kind of vin- kind of vintage huh that's a so. good combination yeah. Yeah. Alive and vintage. And it's also my newest preamp. So I might just be excited on it because of that. Is that what you usually like to collect preamps? Um, it's definitely an essential part of the studio. I don't yeah. have a ton. I have probably 10 channels of high end external preamps. Okay. Um, but yeah, between preamps and microphones, I mean, that's like what's shaping the tone of whatever you're recording. So, but I'm always. Again, it's like guitars. I'm always in the hunt for yeah. 
a, a sound and however I can achieve that. I'll hear a recording and I'm like, man, how did they get the vocal to sound like that? I'll do research. Yeah. Oh, it's because of that mic and that preamp. Well, I have this mic, so that could work with this preamp. And so it gives me ideas of like ways to achieve different sounds. Yeah, that's cool. Do you have a favorite mic or a most used mic? Lately, honestly, it's uh, the SM7, mm-hmm. which is a radio mic. It's used I know sometimes that mic. Radio. Now I know what yeah. we're talking about. It's getting it's used just, all over the place right now. If people saw it, yeah. they would know exactly. People are using it on all their social media stuff. It's like a dynamic that right. Yeah, people are loving. So It's kind of like an SM58, which is probably the most common mic used for worship. You know, worship vocals, or used to be at least. Yeah. It's like that, but just a little more hi-fi and, I don't know, just maybe more present, less muddy. Yeah. It's just there's something really forward sounding about the SM7 that I like. It sounds tight in your face, focused. Interesting. So that's yeah. a intimidating. <laughs> for yeah. a microphone. Those are good words. You've always always yeah. been really good with adjectives. Ah, uh, yeah. There is there's a lot of there's a lot of lingo that floats around the music world, and yeah. it just kind of gets picked up. And a lot of it doesn't make any sense. Like, oh, I love that. It sounds so gooey. No, that do- uh-huh. but that does make right. sense. Yeah. Or, yeah, I love those words because at first they sound like they don't make sense, but they really do make sense. Yeah, yeah, in my head it makes sense. It's like, I how do like... you use a word to describe a sound? You, you right. almost have to go with gooey. <laughs> right. I don't know where they, where they come from. It just, yeah, just makes sense in my head. Yeah, yeah, I'm so, with you. Yeah. Uh, now, there is one other thing that I really want to talk to you about. I can't believe we haven't talked about it yet and it's your new espresso machine oh yeah because uh now we have the same espresso machine yeah so uh his wife katie and i have talked in great detail i mean totally nerding out on coffee and anything culinary we've been sending pictures of coffee for years back and forth you know the latte art fails which is mostly what we have because it's so hard to be successful on a home machine especially but you've got this new revel overall how do you feel about having the new machine it's amazing it took a little while to get used to it and kind of get it dialed into what i wanted yeah yeah so we had the generation before maybe even two generations before um same model and everything that one was always really hit or miss because there there weren't really any parameters to to mess with on it you either do everything right you you put the espresso in steam your milk and and that's it. You can't adjust the extraction amount. You can't adjust. I mean, you can adjust the grind because we had an external grinder. But, um, but yeah, having it all built in, it's a lot more efficient now. Just mm-hmm. being able to hit one button and oh, then yeah. the beans go right into the what's it called? I don't even know what the thing's called. Oh, it, the, f- uh, filter basket. I don't know. Filter basket. That sounds about right. Look, we're not real yeah. baristas, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, yeah. It definitely extracts way better yeah. than the previous one. I feel like I can get thick crema on the espresso. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really pulling all the flavor out of the beans. And the steamer is a lot better too. Yeah, like this is what I'm really curious about. How, how, yeah. you, how you feel about the steamer? The only thing that I wish it did is, uh, you know how professional machines, you, you have a knob that you turn. So it's like, do you want more or less steam? Right. Uh-huh. It doesn't have that. But it does a really good job without that. Yeah. Um, it gets hotter faster and it actually creates foam. Whereas the previous generation, sometimes I would have it, it would, the milk would get really hot and just no foam would 
was, huh. was created. Yeah. So, yeah, this one doesn't do that. Have you been able to nice. do any latte art that you are proud of? Oh, yeah. I don't. So I only do one uh-huh. kind of art. Oh, well, yeah. I guess it's the tulip. <laughs> or the heart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, you know, the circles, yeah. the kind of, yeah. But, I mean, it sounds simple. And I know exactly how you're supposed to do it. Yeah. It is still really hard. It's it just, is. It's hard to get to texturize the milk in the exact right way. Right. Because if you have too much too yeah. much foam on top, then it just globs on, kind of mm-hmm. ruins the whole thing. And you yeah. just have a, a blob of foam. That, right. You know, and you can't really design anything. But, yeah, the secret is if I get too much foam, then I just dump a little bit of that, like, really thick foam on top out. Right. And I have the micro foam underneath oh. where it's like so the mic micro foam is essentially like liquid hot milk mixed with thick foam and it creates this like mm-hmm. creamy foam and that's like that's that's what it, the consistency that it needs to be right to really get it to like move the crema and create yeah. designs so this I'll is probably try the removing the the two the stuff that's too fluffy i've never yeah, tried yeah. removing it i don't know why i didn't yeah. think about that I learned that at Little Lamps. I mean, everybody loves Little Lamps, but um, if you could pick any bean, any espresso bean, which one is your favorite choice? My favorite espresso that I've ever had is Blue Bottle. So they have, I think they're from San Francisco. I I Mm -hmm. could be wrong, but there's locations in most big cities. So anytime I go to New York, I always go to Blue Bottle. So here's the thing, though. I thought with this machine, I could make a cappuccino that tasted like theirs. Right. And it's I know. still not quite right. What I found with the, the Breville is lighter roasts get kind of sour tasting, in my opinion. Hmm. Whereas if I have, see, if I have a cappuccino at Little Ants, I love it. But if right. I try to make, make it at home, it just doesn't taste the same. And so that frustrates me. Yeah. So I feel like I need to go with a little bit of a darker or medium roast. Not even dark. I guess it's more medium that I like. And then it, I, I get all the flavor that I want. Right. One time I got Little Lamb's beans to taste exactly like how they do at their stores. Oh wow! And I was so happy. I don't know if it's a pressure thing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is. But but I was like, okay, so it's possible. But I don't know how to do it. Yeah, I think <laughs> those time. lighter those lighter roasts are just a bit more finicky. Yeah, you got to get it perfect. There's maybe more forgiveness in the medium roast. Yeah. So, but that's my my favorite to make is from a local roaster named Linda Arby, she actually made me a custom blend. I told her what I liked in espresso. She's like, all right, so you like caramely, kind of chocolatey, kind of a medium roast, not too dark and bitter, not too light and bright. Yeah, exactly. Toffee notes. That sounds delicious. I want that. So (laughs) she curated this blend of four different beans. I don't even remember what they are. It's probably like Guatemala, Colombia. It was her first try. She gave it to me tried it at home even with the old machine mm-hmm. and I was blown away by it. This is like the best tasting espresso I've ever had in my machine. This is amazing. Yeah. So then she called it the attic blend. She currently sells it. I'm glad we could it's talk awesome. about this. I've been curious yeah, for I, weeks. Yeah, I hope hopefully our uh, listeners find this amusing. Well, look, I mean we're talking about <laughs> worship, we're talking about yeah. gear, we're talking about coffee. What's not to yeah. love? This is yeah, what everybody everybody is is obsessed with these things right now. Yeah. So. And just to clarify, it's espresso, not espresso. Oh, I would right? never. Right. A lot of people still say espresso. And it's hard for me not to judge them. I'm just <laughs> kidding. 
Uh, all right. Well, Nathan, thank you for joining me today, talking about all this stuff. I can't wait to hear what Life Center Worship puts out next. Yeah, and who's going to be you. singing it? Who do you think would sing on God of the Breakthrough? Oh, Singing to the Mountain? Yeah. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. I think Dave is going to sing that one. Okay. I really like that one. Good. Yeah. We wrote that in Nashville, actually. It was a co-writing session. Yeah. We were down there a few months ago. The first so. time he did it at, at church, he said, I don't know if it's finished. And we sang it. And I was like, I don't know what else you would do to it. It's awesome. Yeah. Everyone's crying. You know, like, it's really, really good. Um, cool. What about the revival one? That one we recorded at Supernatural Life in okay. September. So that one, we actually just had it mastered. It's completely done. That's going to be released at Firestorm, that song. Oh, okay. What is the official yeah. name of that song? Uh, Spirit of Revival. Spirit of Revival. Well, look for it. It's going to be on any minute. Yeah, end of end of February, I think. Oh, good. I love that one, too. Those both are the ones that I can't wait to have. Cool. You know, done all the way. I think that yeah. they're going to feel right at churches everywhere. Yeah. So um, there's something that everyone needs to sing right now for the church and also for our personal lives. So it's like you need both of them. Yeah. It's in, good your, to hear. in your heart and voice right now. So looking yeah. forward to it. All right. Well, awesome. hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Nathan. Yeah, you're welcome. Big thanks to Nathan Hurst. And don't forget, keep up with Life Center Worship on social media. And while we wait for those new songs, make sure to spin Life Center Worship's debut EP just out last year. P.S. To see that guitar that we were talking about at the very beginning, check my social media pages. On Instagram, on Facebook, just search WJTL Praise and Worship. And I hope that however you're listening to this episode today, you have clicked that follow or subscribe button because there's some really great guests on the way. But for now, thanks for listening in to the Praise and Worship podcast. Closing out with a few extra seconds of Nathan's track, Vision.